Welcome to The Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My guest today is Jim Jonas, the founding director of the National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers and co-founder of Colorado Independent Voters. Jim's an experienced political, public affairs, and corporate communication consultant based in Denver, Colorado. For the last decade, he's helped create and manage a wide variety of entrepreneurial, disruptive political organizations and campaigns to promote independent, nonpartisan causes and candidates. He was a co-founder of Unity 08, a consultant to Americans Elect, and the campaign manager to Greg Orman's independent campaign for the U.S. Senate in Kansas in 2014. Jim got his start in politics, writing and producing political media for consulting legend Roger Ailes in New York, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. He also served as Senator Lamar Alexander's communication director for his campaign for the GOP presidential nomination in 1996. Jim Jonas, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. You know, to start with, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about how the National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers came to be, and then also, you know, what you're hoping to accomplish with the organization. Sure. Uh, great question and, and great place to, to kick off the, the conversation. As you mentioned in the warm-up, my introduction to some of these groups that I've been a part of, uh, I've been affiliated with a number of independent nonpartisan election reform groups over the years. And they always seem to take off with the with the best of intentions, and we get up and running, we raise some money, and we get some attention, and gather a bunch of people up, and and uh, start trying to chip away at the at a broken uh, electoral system, and then they go away, uh, and with them goes all that data, goes all that information, goes all the infrastructural uh, things that we put together, and after uh, I, I ran Greg Orman's campaign in Kansas in 2014 really got frustrated with the idea that we had no one to turn to for simple things like uh, uh, voter data, that the Republicans and the Democrats both have uh, those infrastructural things that, that uh, give them such a leg up on anybody who's not part of the parties to be competitive in, in elections. So a number of us uh, started having uh, some group meetings who are all in the reform space and saying, what what can we do to start chipping away at the uh, at the electoral barriers enacted by the two parties, and how can we do this together so it's it's long lasting? And the next group that pops up, they've got a place to turn for talent, for uh, data resources, for other infrastructural things, for uh, staff, consultants, lawyers, all those things that the parties have. And so th- that was really the driving uh, reason for creating the National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers was that. We bring the leading uh, folks together, be at a roundtable, compare notes, see where we can collaborate on things, but also start building those big infrastructural things that will allow us to be competitive with the parties down the road. Right. And I guess I think a lot of people probably don't realize how important infrastructure and those information resources are. Now, I know as someone who's been in electoral politics for you know a number of decades now, uh, you, you probably, of course, you know how important that is. And why do you think it is that people don't appreciate how incredibly important this is to really try to make any inroads? Well, I think most people aren't familiar with how modern campaigns are run, and, and they're used to seeing campaigns run uh, by TV commercial and think that that's what a campaign is. Uh, they don't see what's going on behind the scenes and the, this this amazing explosion of data and data-driven campaigns and micro-targeting and all these 
these things that were just not around when I got started in, in campaigns 30 years ago, but, but they are so incredibly important to the modern campaign of, of you're, you're not starting from zero if you're a Republican or a Democrat. You've got built-in lists of people who've been voting Republican, voting Democrat, have been donating uh, to Republican causes or Democratic causes for years. With independents or third-party folks, they just don't have that. There's no place to turn. There's nobody in the business of providing that kind of infrastructural data support. Right. And so I guess it would be really a two-pronged problem. Number one, that if, you start, if you're starting a new reform movement, you're starting, as you said, from zero there, and you have to build all that capability. And that takes time. And certainly, I imagine when people do that for the first time, they make a lot of mistakes in that steep learning curve. But also, it takes an awful lot of money to create something like that from scratch, right? Yeah, it does, but it's uh, it's less and less as time goes on. There, there are more and more tools that are coming online, and and companies that are providing uh, great uh, uh, great data services and analytics of being able to understand uh, uh, voters in, in a district, in a state, in a country. Uh, but the parties have decades long head start on this. They they sell and rent that data out to their candidates and to their causes. And each candidate that leases that information adds a new little piece of data to a voter record that we'll never have and that uh, it's really built in. So they have this incredible depth of information about what a voter voters uh, key issues are, what moves them, what money, uh, why would they give money? What are their trigger points for issue causes? So it, it's uh, it's really uh, remarkable what has happened in this uh, data uh, campaign world that we live in. Now, I wanted to ask you about the focus on independence, because, of course, a majority of people see themselves as affiliated with you know, one political party or the other. I mean, if you talk to most political scientists who study this sort of thing, they'll say that true independents are maybe 10, 15 percent of the electorate. So why did you decide to focus on sort of independence? Uh, that, that is true. Uh, and uh, we can quibble with the numbers. There was a recent uh, study, uh, uh, Charles Franklin did a study at Marquette just recently and showing uh, that they're, uh, at least for Republicans, are rapidly abandoning the Republican Party and moving all the way over, not just to a leaner, but to pure independent. Uh, but, but to back up, uh, part of the reason that, that there isn't a lot of uh, uh, numbers of pure independence is that there hasn't been much of a choice. You either had to be red or blue, right or left. Uh, we lived in this Coke and Pepsi world in politics. It doesn't exist anywhere else. So there's really not any place to go. Uh, you don't have candidates who've been running as independents and very few third parties have been more fringe than mainstream parties. Uh, but, but we're focused on uh, uh, the, the individual voter. And that's really where we live. We're, we're not saying that we're against the parties. We're against the duopoly that is preventing more participation or the maximum amount of participation from voters and trying to remind people that elections should be held for the benefit of voters and not for uh, the, the private political parties. And that's where we are. Uh, we're seeing the numbers are just enormous and Gallup reports it all the time uh, of the, the steady climb of people who identify as independent. Now you're, you're correct that Almost all of those folks who identify as independent, and Gallup puts it at 43% of all Americans who now think of themselves as independent, uh, it's a small uh, percentage of those who are pure independents. Most of them lean right or lean left. 
But if you were to provide a third option to those folks, uh, th- there's a lot of uh, our hope and our belief that a lot of folks would would tip right all the way over and leave the leave the parties unless they become more responsive to their members. Yeah. And, you know, I, maybe to some people, they, that might sound like a crazy thing, but I think you and I are both old enough to remember Ross Perot in 1992 yep. got 19% of the popular vote with a campaign that was uh, troubled, I guess you could say, to, to say the That's least. Kind. Yeah. That's a kind <laughs> way to say. Yeah, we always looked at it when we were running uh, Americans Elect and in Unity 08, is we were looking for a sane Ross Perot right. because we knew if we could find a, a sane Ross Perot out there, there is this this palpable hunger from the American public to do something different than the way we've been doing it because they fundamentally know the system. Well, this is funny. A friend of mine, Catherine Gale, uh, says the system isn't broken; it's fixed. Uh, and the, the American people know it's fixed. That the game is rigged, and it's rigged uh, throughout the. Uh, the the political system with the the parties are are uh, they may not agree on much but they they do agree they don't want competition in the political space uh, so they divvy up the voters and divvy up the districts and they have their uh, they have their own think tanks and their own uh, funders and their own uh, uh, media plays they they are a classic duopoly uh, that does not want competition right. Now, I think probably a lot of folks from the parties, if, if faced with that characterization of being unrepresentative, unresp- unresponsive, would argue, no, actually, most Americans are happy to call themselves Republicans or Democrats, and we respond very well to the mass of the people. And I'm wondering, when you hear that, because, you know, that's certainly what they'd say, what, what, yep. what do you think? What, what's your response to that? Well, I, I would point out things like, uh, Obamacare that uh, passed without a single Republican vote, or uh, the Trump tax bill that passed without a single Democrat vote. We have gotten to this place where uh, it, it's impossible to make progress. I mean, this last Congress is has been worse than the do nothing 80th Congress. I mean, they've passed less th- than ever. So they're not being uh, uh, they're not able to do much any longer. Now they may be responsive to their a hard partisan base on hard partisan issues, but they're not addressing the big things that need to be addressed because it's impossible at this point. We have split off so badly, and the 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 the, the polls of both parties are driving uh, all the activity and all of the intellectual uh, movement of the parties that it's impossible to find that middle ground uh, because. Uh, the the hyper partisans uh, a representative is not rewarded for cooperating they, they are uh, they're they're greeted with a a primary opponent you're either in line or you're not you're either with us or you're against us and there's no middle ground any longer and i think uh we're really close to this place where people are starting to figure that out uh now that doesn't solve the problem but it certainly if we can address it or at least acknowledge it then that's half the battle yeah yeah, and so it's it's really, in a way, I guess to, to characterize it another way, you could say it's not so much that the parties are unresponsive; it's that they're mostly just responsive to the uh, the extremists and the core and the funders, basically. That's right. That's absolutely right. That they, they are, uh, it, it, like I said, they're not broke. The, the system is not broken. Uh, it's doing exactly as how it was designed to do, uh, at least in the current uh, makeup of it. That. Uh, we get 
uh, more and more hyper-partisan members are elected because of the districts, the way that they're gerrymandered together. So, uh, and the way that the system rewards hyper-partisanship, it doesn't reward cooperation. So yes, it's super, it's hyper-responsive to the, uh, uh, to the, the, the players who are driving each of the parties, but it's not doing much to, to serve the, the vast middle of America. Yeah. And so do you think that the, the political, sorry, the political elites, in, regardless of party, that they have too much say in, in terms of the course of the parties at this point? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair characterization. It's, it's hard to say the, the elites are, are uh, the only ones. There are a lot of, uh, unless you, you lump the, the special interest groups uh, in mass uh, along with those elites, because uh, the, the lobbyists who work for those key issue groups and special interest groups that are uh, affiliated with one part or the other are have enormous outsized influence over uh, a regular voter than anybody else. So, yes, they do have more uh, too much influence. Now, I, I had a chance to, to look over your website. There's a lot of great stuff there. And in the, the preamble uh, to, to the organization, it argues that the Democratic and Republican parties have created institutional barriers that insulate them from reforms. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you see those barriers as being. Yep. Uh, there are a lot of them. And they have, uh, uh, it really goes back to the root of how we run elections in this country, that we have allowed two private political organizations, the Republicans and the Democrats, to get uh, in control of a very, of the most public thing you can do, which is part of uh, participating in our democracy. The two parties have colluded uh, in uh, divvying up uh, districts by gerrymandering. Uh, They have closed their primaries so that only people who belong to their private organization can participate in the public process of voting. They institute uh, ballot access uh, issues that that make it very difficult for individuals and for third parties to participate, even get on the ballot, uh, except by the rules that they themselves, the other two parties have written. Uh, So there's all these uh, these barriers. We just opened up primaries here in Colorado uh, last cycle. So we're going through our first uh, our, our first uh, election this coming year uh, with open primaries. And there's still lots of states that have closed primaries. There's lots of states that don't have a uh, referendum initiative uh, ability uh, for citizen-driven initiative to, to crack these barriers. So the parties uh, get to do things l- like with gerrymandered districts where they get to pick their voters instead of voters picking candidates. And in way too many districts across the country, not just the congressional level, but the state legislative levels, this has been going on and getting worse and worse uh, uh, every time they redraw the lines where it's, it's, it's fox garden, the, the hen house kind of stuff. The foxes are drawing the boxes of what voters they get to represent. And it's really re- restricting the ability for uh, a true representative uh, uh, legislators to, to emerge from that kind of system. Right. Which, and, you know, it, it, it makes sense in the sense that they're the ones, of course, who are making the rules. And this is one instance, right, where in this polarized world we live in, this is sort of a bipartisan consensus among the elites that, well, let's not mess with this system that's done so well for us. Right. And uh, the, it truly is. In any other form, if you look at it from a, 
from an economic sense, this is a duopoly and it is a closed duopoly. It does not want other competition to it. And they would they, they really do not agree on much, the Republicans and Democrats, but they don't like competition and they will do all that they can to preserve uh, th- their control over the, the, the electoral process. So I guess the big question is if. The parties are the ones who are writing these laws and making these regulations. People might say, well, how has this changed? And I mean, what sort of strategies on what levels, local, state, national, do you think have the best chance of you know, uh, breaking up this duopoly of power? Well, I don't think it's going to happen overnight, and I don't think it's going to be a sledgehammer approach. I think it's going to be more like a, a ball-peen hammer on the dam. You know, you know, just chipping away at it slowly, slowly over time, it's going to work. But it's like, uh, you know, Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill. You know, he's, he's pushing, pushing, and pushing. And just like uh, a lot of these election reforms that are happening across the country, we're going to reach a tipping point and that ball's going to fall off the mountain and, and the world's going to open up for independents and third parties to compete. Right now, uh, there are, I can't tell you the number of, of uh, gerrymander reform uh, ballot measures uh, that are going to happen this fall across the country in some places you'd never expect it to that need to have uh, uh, that reform. And gerrymandering on its own doesn't fix it, but it begins to uh, uh, bring back into focus the idea that why are two private political parties that are in- enormously self-interested, why are they drawing legislative lines? It makes absolutely no sense whatever uh, for them uh, to benefit from uh, their own line drawing. So you're, you're seeing that on one place. Open primaries and uh, fair vote are two groups that belong to uh, our association. They're working on opening up the primary process and the base electoral, the way that we elect uh, our, our legislators and fundamentally changing the way you think about it. First past the post uh, uh, style elections that we have in this country, predominantly in this country. Uh, do not uh, uh, help at all on uh, this hyper-partisanship. It only accentuates it. So we need to come up with ways of thinking about how do we get more people involved in the process and get the most people to participate in elections. And if you change the way that we uh, nominate and elect uh, legislators, uh, you could fundamentally change the system. But again, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to happen over time. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't even realize that there's an alternative to that first past the post, you know, winner take all type of system yeah. where, where I mean, currently, if you're a minor party or an independent, you could get 20, 30 percent of the vote and walk away with nothing. And it doesn't have to be that way. Exactly. And, and the system that we've created it, it, it's by no means the majority uh, uh, are, are electing people to office, and they don't want to have these folks. But that's what first past the post, winner take all uh, uh, builds, and it's hard to change. It is really difficult. Uh, as I've, I've helped a couple of these groups try to uh, make this argument to voters, people are used to voting this way, and we've been voting this way, and the and it's always been this. Uh, uh, choice of right versus left, red, blue, Republican, Democrat. And then you start introducing, hey, here's a different way of thinking about it. It's a more fair and equitable way of doing it. And it really would drive a much more responsive uh, member, a legislator who wins in this kind of system, because they'd have to talk to everybody and not just their narrow core of voters uh, uh, when they're running. And then when they're serving, they would serve 
a much broader swath of their constituency, constituency than, than the ones who are merely elected by the 35 percent of Democrats or Republicans who dominate that district. So I'm, I'm wondering, there was a situation that happened recently in my own state of Ohio where uh, Democrats and Republicans in the legislature agreed to a plan, a redistricting plan that wasn't quite as partisan as the current plan, but only because, at least my read, only because they were being pressured by the threat of an initiative that an outside group was trying to, to organize. So they wanted to act first yep. before. And, and so that caused me to wonder, in the context of what we're talking about, do you think that we're likely to see the most movement, the quickest in states that have initiatives and referendums for that reason? Y- yes, I do. Uh, absolutely. And and parties are waking up to that quickly. And uh, here in Colorado, we've had a number of, of reforms uh, just over the last few years that clearly the parties are listening. They, they can understand the threat, at least uh, that it's out there, that it's possible. And we've seen this. I mean, in Colorado, is really uh, uh, amazing to see what the registration is. Uh, all new voters over the last three years, forty-seven percent have registered as independent uh, or unaffiliated, uh, which is enormous. And then you look at uh, thirty and younger voters of that, and it's well over fifty percent. So the parties are these minor players to this, and the parties aren't dumb, uh, or or at least they haven't been dumb enough yet. Uh, to not recognize that that's an existential threat. Unless they respond to voters uh, and their threats of of doing a referenda on these kinds of things, they have to be more responsive to a broader uh, uh, piece of the electorate, or they'll just become more and more irrelevant to the process. Yeah, and parties certainly have a uh, the Republicans and Democrats certainly have a long history of uh, co-opting reform movements, taking up some of their issues just so they can essentially survive. Exactly. And and we've always said uh, people ask me all the time. So is this is this the beginnings of a third uh, party uh, of what you guys are trying to do? And we say absolutely not. Right now, we live in a two party system. That's the way the system just works that way. What we're trying to do is make sure that the system works much more efficiently. And so those of us who choose not to, to belong to a party, our vote counts just as much and our voice should be heard just as much as those voices and votes that are uh, members of those parties. So I wanted to ask you about your membership right now. Now, the the National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers is a uh, fairly new group at this point. So I'm wondering, who who are your members now? And is this uh, just an organization-only group, or are individuals members as well? Well, we we think of ourselves as more of an organizational membership than of uh, individuals that we're not a, uh, a, a a public brand per se. We're really a we think of ourselves as a trade association that we're helpful to those organizations that are really doing the heavy lift uh, out in the states, uh, uh, trying new things, uh, winning uh, uh, anti gerrymandering uh, or gerrymandering reform bills, or opening primaries, or changing the way we vote. Uh, uh, all these groups that are out there doing these great, big, important things that uh, can be catalysts for so much other stuff. So we think of ourselves as we're behind the scenes. We're providing the infrastructural help. We're uh, providing a safe place for all these di- different groups to come together, roundtable, figure out what's most important, and then be able to apply resources to help them. Uh, funders uh, are excited by this because 
uh, they really want to get involved and know where to put smart money. And what we hopefully can do is we're bringing more and more of the heavy hitter uh, uh, reform groups together under this banner that reformers could come to us and say, hey, w w where should we be playing? What What's working out there and what can be something that could catalyze even even more good things uh, down road? Right. I, and I would think that it would actually make it more attractive to funders because certainly these ten they tend to be smart people and they know in the past a lot of these organizations have gone away. But even if an individual exactly. organization yeah, goes away, then you're still going to retain that institutional knowledge and that 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 background, that infrastructure they'll be able to share with other groups. That's exactly right. And we we've got the relationships with a lot of the legal resources and the consultants who are in this space and all those uh, th those base resources that any successful long-term uh, political movement needs to have to be successful. Right. You know, I, I always tell my students that this infrastructure type stuff, it's its not the sexy stuff. It's not the stuff that's covered no. by the media, but it's so incredibly important. And it's its great that you're, you're stepping into this space and, and doing something that I think is incredibly uh, necessary. Well, I appreciate that. It's uh, it is a heavy lift, and and it's uh, good days and bad days. But but uh, the the number of people who are coming into this space and are uh, wanting to uh, join forces and to do the right thing, and recognizing that we're not going to fix it this cycle, we're not going to fix it over the next five years, but maybe ten years, maybe fifteen, maybe twenty. But we're going to either make the parties be more responsive to this, or uh, we're going to really grow this independent nonpartisan uh, movement to a place where it's going to be a major force in, in American politics. And we need it. You know, we, we've gotten to this place where Republicans and Democrats used to uh, be partisans, but at the end of the day, they, they served America's best interest, and they were able to find a way to come up with compromise. And what we're saying is we're not going to we're not going to uh, uh, just go around and hope that, that they'll come together. We're going to force them to come together. We're going to make them open up the system and say, yeah, every vote matters. And uh, and when they do, we get a more responsive and a better government. Yeah. And, and I think that's another key part of it is that incentives are so incredibly important. And unless we can change the incentives, then we're not going to get different behavior from office holders, no matter who they are. That's exactly right. And, and right now, we, we disincentivize people to cooperate. And until we find that place where uh, uh, leaders are reelected because they've done uh, better things than what they're doing now, uh, we, we won't get any better. So one final question for you. I imagine there are some listeners who uh, are, have gotten to this point and say, well, I, I want to I do something, though. I want to be part of something that, that matters and help the cause of reform and fixing these incentives and so forth. What recommendations do you have for them? How can they be part of this change, would you say? Well, uh, come to the uh, our website, nonpartisanreformers.org, uh, and they're uh, listed as our membership of some great groups that are doing some incredibly good, good deeds across the country. Uh, sign up for our newsletter. We'll try to keep people apprised of, uh, of good deed groups out there doing things. And uh, just start paying attention and uh, seeing what's happening in your state in the nonpartisan reform space. I'm amazed every day at that people are doing things that that that, uh, that they never would have done before. That there are groups that are popping up that are 
driving reform in states across the country, and you'd just be surprised that they're out there. But come to our website, uh, look at the groups that, that uh, are our initial membership, and sign up uh, and learn more. All right. Great advice. And with that, we will close. Jim Jonas, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Hey, Mike, thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Support from listeners just like you is what keeps the show going, and we truly do appreciate it. If you're interested in joining our great group of Politics Guys supporters, you can go to politicsguys.com and click on the Patreon or PayPal links you'll see there. And if you want to support the show without spending anything, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, or whatever other podcast app you use. Share this episode with your friends and followers, and pass along our new show posts and tweets on Facebook and Twitter. Leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes also helps. If you've got a question, comment, correction, or just a random thought you want to share with us, you can reach us at mail at politicsguys.com. Our Facebook page, where you can message us and where we post things throughout the week, is facebook.com slash page. We're also on Twitter, at politicsguys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Orndorf, and Bruce Johnson. Today's show was produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Saturday. We hope you'll join us.